0: Amen. All right, we may be seated. Welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And that means that we believe that we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people. Uh, And so part of how we are doing that in 2022 is is being rooted because we are in Christ, that that we want to be resolved because Christ is for us, and we want to be resting uh, because um, we are held and known and loved by Jesus. And so part of wanting to be rooted um, this, this year is uh, this sermon series that we began a couple weeks ago in the book of 1 Peter called Rooted, Living Scattered, Not Shattered. And so on your way in, you should have grabbed a discipleship guide that kind of lets you know where we're gonna be each week in the series. We also have a scripture journal from Crossway that's just uh, an awesome resource to be able to, to kind of j- jot down your thoughts and prayers as you're um, working through the. This awesome letter that that Peter wrote um, to this group of churches um, in a, what we call modern day Turkey, and so Peter was an apostle. Uh, uh, he was a disciple with Jesus. He lived with Jesus, saw the miracles, saw his death, saw his resurrection. Uh, he's a guy who kind of kind of aims first, shoots later. Uh, I, I got that wrong. So that's exactly how Peter would have done that, I guess. Um, so you know, he's just he's just that guy who, who's you know just. Kind of a bit of a loose cannon. And, and is faithless at times, but, but faithful at other times. But what we said that is most important about Peter is that he's forgiven by Jesus. And even with his brokenness and, and even in his failures, Jesus actually still commissions him to, to, to lead, to serve, to, to preach God's word. And so he, he plants and gets involved in church planting. And there's all these churches in Turkey and, and now, now Peter he is out in Rome, and he's seeing the suffering that's happening in Rome. He's seeing the the, the storm clouds of persecution coming against the church in Rome, and he knows that the, the the big cities, the capitals, that's where um, you know information, that's where culture flows from, and so he wants to prepare God's people. He wants to prepare these churches to be able to endure even in the midst of pressure and persecution. And so he calls these churches, he calls these Christians, elect exiles. You're elected by God, you're known by God, you're chosen by God, but you're also chastised by the world, you're scattered among the world. And so we started our first week really honing in on what does it mean to have a rooted identity of being both elect and exiles? What does it mean to be people who multiply uh, mercy and peace? What does it mean to be loved by the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and led and loved by Jesus Christ? That, that, That our rooted identity is what helps us have an understanding of how we should endure. And then last week,, we, uh, looking at the, the rest of um, or the beginning rather of First Peter chapter one, we walked into what a rooted hope looks like, where Peter kind of broke down like, "Hey, let me tell you Christians where you are in God's story." and he actually started with the, big, the end in mind. Hey, you have an inheritance that is imperishable, it is undefilable, it can't be taken from you, it's secure in God, so, so know where you're going so that no matter what happens while you're getting there, you know the inheritance you have at the end. He said so you can have hope in the present in the midst of your journey. And then the end of that section, actually looking backwards at the faithfulness of Jesus Christ and what He did on the cross that we remember each week at communion, that, that Jesus was the sacrifice for you, that God has been faithful to His people in the past that can encourage you in the present and empower you to a better future. And so today, building on this idea of rooted identity, who are we? Rooted hope, where are we in the story? I want us to engage with the question of how do we grow or how do we change? Because who we are, where we are in the story, should impact how we live our lives. That if you're elect exiles that you've been born again with a living hope, it, like, like that living hope you have in Jesus should produce a new life in you today. That if we say something like the gospel means good news, then it can't just be an announcement of what will be. If good news is gonna be truly good news, it can't just be for the future, it needs to be good news for today. And so I wanna submit to you that we all need to change. That there's not a single one of us here even if you came in with no understanding of Jesus or, or even desire to know about Christianity and somehow you were like, church in Marysville today, that's, that's what I'm doing. That's the Holy Spirit, okay, he's working on you. Uh, like if you came in today, you, you, you know that there's parts of you that need to change and that's super uncomfortable because we don't like thinking about change in ourselves because it requires us to acknowledge that there's parts of us that maybe need to be different. And so um, the title of the sermon today um, might be a bit off-putting, but I wanna explain that in a minute, and it's called Rooted Holiness. And holiness isn't a word we use very often, and so that's why I wanted to go with change. Uh, Hear me, we're gonna get into holiness. Like, I'm not changing God's word. But we need to be people that understand That a call to grow, a call to change, a call to holiness that comes after receiving and hearing the good news of the gospel um, is something that, that produces healthy growth in us. So when we talk about holiness, what I want you to hear is healthy growth, right? Because some things grow and they're not healthy. Um, yesterday, I did over an hour and a half, about an hour and a half of battle with these massive blackberry bushes in the back of our yard. In fact, they're in the neighbor's yard. He, he should have taken care of it. But like, and, and I got all scarred up, and it's like the reason I'm doing this because they're growing so much, but they're nasty. It's blackberry bushes. They don't make blackberries. I think they're just thorns and thistles. It's awful, right? That's not good. Right? There's things that grow, like the price of gas grows. Anybody excited about that? No, no one is. If you are, like, awesome, that you got an electric car. Good for you. Okay, anyway, moving on. We said that we need to have good news that's greater than our current events. We need to be rooted in what's real, true, and eternal, and so we said that if we are rooted in the transcendent that we don't have to be as reactive to the temporary. And so today I want us to look about how our identity, how our living hope actually produces change in us that is ultimately for our good, and for his glory, and so if you have your Bibles or you have a scripture journal, turn to 1 Peter chapter one. Today we're gonna to be in verses um, uh, 13 of chapter one through um, verse three of chapter two. I've got it broken up into four sections starting with verse, verses 13 through 16. It says this, therefore, so this, is, this is following him saying, remember what Jesus has done for you, therefore, Okay, so how do we grow? Number one, we grow because we are called to holiness. He says, therefore, so that's, that's why I said, hey, you gotta, when you see a therefore in the Bible, you've gotta back up, read what was there before, understand what he's saying, because he's saying, because of what I'm describing over here, this is how you're gonna respond. So when we think about the gospel, the good news of Jesus, There's two categories that theologians use to describe it and and they use these two words, the indicatives and the imperatives. The indicatives you know, indicating what has God done for us? Well, I mean, God has created and he's created it good and even in our sin, he's given us mercy and he's pursued us in Jesus Christ and he's empowered us with the Holy Spirit and he's, he's promised to return and reign and rule with no more sin, suffering, and tears. Like, yes and amen. That's an indicative. But our response to the gospel is what's called an imperative. Meaning because of what's true about what God has done, how do we now live in light of that? And we, we, we love the, the indicatives, right? Oh man, God, you know, he makes a way through the wilderness. God provides in the midst of our valleys. He comforts, like, like yes and amen. Oh man, but we get weird. On the, uh, on the imperatives, on the what we do. We get so weird uh, about it, and I say that because what we end up doing is we divorce the promises of God with the power of God to change us. And so we, like I said, we, we get weird, and so maybe you grew up in church, and, and, uh, or you grew up around religion, and, and you've heard all the things you're not supposed to do in the Bible, all the things that you should do, and you're like, well I've, I've done most of this list and maybe if I do some of this list it'll cancel out that list. And so what we, what we end up doing is, is we say, okay, um, what I'm gonna do is God's gracious and merciful and kind um, but, but, but he, I'm gonna kind of maybe manipulate that or, or really I'm gonna do all the things I'm supposed to do and in doing so God will bless me. Right, so like, like 80s, 90s, and today TV preachers, right? Like, hey, you give your $1,000 seed you know, into the offering and God will bless you with you not having cancer anymore. Or your, your grandkid getting saved, right? No, that's religion. That is, you do these things and God will then respond with grace. Or, and this is a terrifying one, because right, what happens when we've all screwed up or we've sinned or we've done something wrong? Well, shoot. Now the response must be curse. It must be a removal of favor. It must be a removal of mercy. And so that is what we call religion. That's not the gospel. Do this, God's happy with you. Don't do this, and God's unhappy with you. So that's one side, and and maybe you grew up with that, and maybe that's what you're processing through now. But then there's the other one, and I think this one's a little more popular. And it's okay. I'm gonna go ahead and divorce those uh, indicatives of what God's done and imperatives of what God's called me to do, and I'm just gonna, this pile over here? Gross. That's legalistic. How di- you, you, you're saying I need to grow? You're, wait, you're saying that I, I can't keep walking in sexual immorality? You're saying like, like, hey, I need to put away malice and slander? Like, like what, what are you talking about? No, no, I just need to be kind to myself, and just, just whatever feels, feels good to me. I mean, God loves me just the way I am, so why would you, uh, I'm not changing. How dare you call me to do that? And see, we, again, we get weird because the first way is soul-crushing because we forget our identity in Christ or we're trying to work to make it happen. The second is soul-condemning because, again, we're divorcing the promises of God with the power of God to actually produce life-giving change in us. I didn't always walk and follow Jesus. I didn't always understand the the gospel. I mean, we're all people in in progress, but I mean, a big part of that was understanding who God is in the story, who I am in the story, His mercy, His grace to me. Yes, I'm a sinner, but oh, oh, but yes, I'm also somebody worthy of dignity and respect. Like, I'm not ruined, I'm not trash that needs to be thrown away. Okay, now, because of the mercy that I've received from God in Christ, I don't want to go in that direction anymore. I don't want to live a life that was producing just harm and and, and death and frustration in me. And so when we say something like, you're called to holiness, you're called to change, the order matters. Because if you think you're changing so that God will give you mercy and favor, you've gotten it wrong. Because God has given you mercy and favor in Jesus Christ, you can change, and by God's grace, you, you will change. So we have to understand the relationship between God and growth, holiness and wholeness, and we said we wanna be people who are rooted. The result of being rooted, I know in part we said, hey, we wanna be rooted so like when a storm comes we don't get knocked over, but like anybody like, yeah, I'm gonna plant this tree, I hope it grows up and just doesn't get knocked down. No, you, you plant a tree, because you want it to be fruitful. You want it to be life producing, joy giving, shade giving, right? You want beautiful leaves, especially like in the fall when they turn that color and you get your pumpkin spice latte, right? But you want there to be fruit in spring first, right? And so we, we, we want it to, the, the, to be rooted for fruitfulness. That fruit that's produced in being rooted is holiness. And again, that's not a word we, we use very often. Typically, it's like, oh yeah, they're the holy ones. What we, we typically mean is super self-righteous, and sometimes we're not wrong, so we self-righteously judge them for being so self-righteous, because we're the tolerant people. No, I want us to have a, a, a bigger, and, and, I and I believe, biblical understanding of the word holiness, because like, first and foremost, yes, it means purity. It means clean. It means set apart. And sometimes you know we, we think about something that's just so unattainable, and yes, the, the holiness of God is not attainable by, by us. That's why Jesus came down perfect, sinless, to engage with us where we're at. But holiness is more than that. Holiness is experiencing the presence and power of God. Holiness is living out the purposes of God with the passion of God. So when we say you, you're called to holiness, or as a Christian disciple I should grow in holiness. We're not saying clean yourself up. What we're saying is to grow in holiness is to grow in the purity, presence, power, purposes, and passion of God found in Jesus Christ. I'll say that one more time. Holiness is to grow in the purity, the presence, the power, the purposes, and the passion of God found in Jesus Christ. And so that means that there's gonna necessarily produce change in us. And so when he says, hey, therefore, because of what Jesus has done, prepare your minds for action, um, the, the Greek translation actually says, gird your loins of your mind, which doesn't make any sense to us at all, right? This is an Old Testament throwback that, that regularly you'll see the terms, when, when people are about to, to hear from God, when they're about to, to be given a new mission, when they're about to be given a new direction, you often hear it said, you gird your loins for battle, gird your loins for action. And so, right, back in the day, people, they're walking around in like, like the robes, right? But then it's time to gird for action, so you kinda, kinda tie things up, right? Because, because you're no longer in casual life just walking around the marketplace sampling some dates. It's like, uh-oh, battle's about to happen, journey's about to happen, something intentional is about to happen. So he's saying, you need to change your mindset from being totally casual all the time to actually be preparing for a fight, for a difficult journey, for a daunting mission. Like you can't just continue to be comfortable all the time that there is like an understanding in your mind, in your mindset, that there's a battle going on in here. There's a battle for your affections. There's a battle for your intellect. There's a battle for your emotions. And some of those will be life-producing, and some of those will rob you of joy. Some of those will instill shame where there's supposed to be salvation. And so our mind, our intellect, our emotions have such a tremendous impact on how we see and engage the world. And so to grow in holiness means that we're gonna engage in the battlefield of the mind. And so that, like, that's, that's gonna actually impact your, your, I'll use this word, your will. What do you want? Where are you going? And he says, hey, as you get ready for this battle, as you gird your loins of your mind for action, he says, be sober-minded. It means have clarity, compared to drunken delusion. And so this requires us to actually consider, what are you feeding your mind with? What, what, what is coming in, and, and I want us to be people that ask ourselves, number one, is this true? That's that's like so hard right now. Like this this last week, you know. Like I, I I you know I'm looking at footage of Ukraine, and then like an hour later, somebody's like, "Well, actually, it was recorded in 2019." And like, look at this deep fake they did over here. And I was like, "Ah, that's crazy. Like, is it true?" So if you're reading something or or you're getting some pop psychology from your Instagram stories, like, does, okay, it might sound good, but is it true? And then is it helpful? Is it building you up? Is it leading you to desire God more? Is it leading you away from the things that were, that were distracting you, that were discouraging you, that were leading you to despair? Is it equipping you for a journey that yes, might be, might be difficult but, but worthwhile, that's life producing, that's fruit producing? And then he says, you need to have your hope fully set on the grace that will be yours, that to grow in holiness is an outworking of the hope that we have. I, I have great hope in Jesus so I can desire his presence more, the Holy Spirit's power more, I can live with his purpose and passion more, and so, so by saying and starting with what's in the mind and in some ways like what's in your heart, I think it flips the way we think about growth because we typically like to think about growth as outside in. So we look at our lives and we kind of assess and you know, maybe, you know, right, it's, it's uh, beginning of March now, so you're two months away from your New Year's resolutions. You're like, wait, what were those? Yeah, none of you did them, we know. We, we look at our lives and we say, well, what, what fruit am I producing? And then we start to work backwards, rather than considering what soil am I rooted in? Because the fruit you produce is an outworking of the soil that you're rooted in. And in some regards, the tree that you are. Right, so when he says like, hey, you know, you're, you're gonna be holy, not because you better darn well be holy, he says you're gonna be holy because God's holy and your new identity is in Christ. He is holy, therefore you are holy because your identity is no longer your own but is found in him. So, he's not saying, gosh, I, I really hope that these blackberry bushes in Chris's backyard would eventually produce oranges. No, he's saying, hey, I made you an orange tree, and you're going to have deep roots that go down, and the fruit that you're going to produce is orange. And so we, so we, we need to be more, way more focused on where we're, the, we're rooted rather than the fruit that's coming out, that our external behaviors are actually driven by our internal beliefs and our internal desires. And so in Christ, we can say that a grace-filled heart, a truth-filled mind, can actually produce a transformed life. But we will exhaust ourselves if we just keep telling each other, make better fruit, rather than be rooted in the soil that's life-giving. Have a grace-filled heart and a truth-filled mind. It will lead to a transformed life that's part of how our identity impacts how and, and why we, we grow because right, earlier in 1 Peter, we know that we are adopted and redeemed children. So we don't live out our old family values, we live out our new family values, and this is why he can, in verse 14, say, as obedient children, which we're like, oh, that's so condescending. Well, yeah, but God's our Father. Jesus Christ, our older brother. And so we have God the Father, we have God the Son, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he's saying part of this new identity of being in this new family is walking in obedience to a new Father. One who knows you, one who loves you. He says, hey, you've been driven by your former passions, you were were ignorant, he said, not knowing what life should look like, but he's like, now you're no longer ignorant, you're informed with the truth. Like, when you go on your, the, the journey of faith with Jesus, right, you go in this Christian life, you're like, I didn't even know that. Yeah, it's okay, you're not accountable for what you didn't know, but he's like now, you're like, now you know. And you can walk in this new path, not ignorant, but informed with the truth of the gospel. Because you used to be walking, he says, in former passions. And so this is, this is where we can say that you know, holiness is not passionless, it's passion properly directed. He said, You used to have this passion that was leading you this way, and it was destructive, and it was harming those around you, and it wasn't leading to joy. And he's like, you've, you've walked now in repentance, and repentance means to turn, so you're, you're turning from going that way, and now you're going this way. And it's life-giving, and it's life-producing. And so, it might be too strong to say that we, we can't grow if we're still ruled by our old passions, but I don't think it's too strong to say that our growth is gonna be stunted and our joy is gonna be subdued if God's trying to lead us this way and we're like, yeah, that's great, that's great, you can keep leading me, keep leading me that way, but I'm gonna, I really kinda wanna go this way. We have to hope and, and, and dare I say, like pray, like God can and will and does give you new desires. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, theologian um, in Germany during World War II, um, he describes repentance as like, hey, if you're on a train going the wrong direction, repentance isn't like, well, I'm gonna start walking backwards on the train as it's like, I'm not even gonna try to moonwalk, that would go really bad. Right, but you get the idea the train's flowing this way and you're like, well, I'm just gonna start walking towards the back cars of the train, it's going. He's like, no, repentance is getting off the train. Recognize that in Jesus, he's he's shown up in the train, he's been on the train, he says, I know everything about the train, I know how it's gonna lead to destruction, I'm gonna grab you, I'm gonna take you out of it, and then we're on a new train. You're not going that same direction anymore. You're growing, you're changing, and, and that change is holiness. Because he's saying, you're not ruled by those passions, you now have a new purpose, new power, new presence. New purpose is found in God. I believe this describes what we'd call as Christians, worship. Who, what, where are you worshiping? Pastor and theologian Tim Keller says it this way. The secret to freedom from enslaving patterns of sin is worship. You need great worship. You need weeping worship, you need glorious worship, you need to sense God's greatness and be moved by it, moved by who God is and what he's done for you. And so when you hear holiness, a lot of us that like grew up with like decent music in the 90s, we hear lameness. Oh yeah, that's lameness. Holiness is like the good kids that never do anything bad. We're like no, no, holiness is passion properly directed to what God intended. To be people who don't worship ourselves and go in this direction, but are actually like worshiping God. And so like, you know, we hear worship and we think, oh yeah, that's, that's the music we do before and after service. And you know, I, sometimes it's, you know, it's kind of quiet and, and people aren't very active. Well, why don't you be louder and be a little more active? And then we all do it together, right? Like worship isn't just the 10 minutes before and after the sermon. Worship is the entire orientation of our lives. And part of how we respond, yeah, it's it's singing, it's joy, but but worship is the remedy for apathy or or for atrophy, where you're not growing, where you're not experiencing growth, where you just feel like bogged down, like like weary soul. Ask yourself, where is your worship? Who are you worshiping? What fears are driving you? We'll get into that in a moment. The reason I say that. Holiness isn't passionless, but it's passion properly directed, is that I think that that holiness leads us to a new purpose. Throughout the Bible, I'll just use a couple of examples. When God talks to Moses, uh, right, he's in the burning bush, and he says, you are on holy ground. Well, what's happening in that moment? Moses is in the presence of God, and God is about to act to free his people from slavery. He's saying, you're on holy ground. God's shown up in the midst of this story. I'm here with power, and you, Moses, are gonna be part of this new mission, this new purpose of no longer just kind of living your quiet life out in the woods because you got away from government oppression, but you're gonna have to go back in because there's people who need to get out. They need to be led. They need to be cared for. They need to be encouraged in the power of who God is. And he says you're on holy ground because God's presence is coming to engage and save his people. Later, Isaiah, given a vision of God on the throne in Isaiah chapter six, he's this prophet. And Isaiah's response, seeing God on the throne, God in charge, God working, is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I don't think he was just saying like, God looks clean. I mean, maybe, yeah, purity for sure, but he's, he's seeing presence. He's seeing power, and the response to the presence and power of God with the purity of God is Isaiah says, I wanna be part of this mission. God, make me holy, he says, because I'm one of unclean lips. I'm not pure, God. Make me pure so that I can be about the purpose of telling people about how glorious you are. Calling them to, yes, repentance but also calling them to renewed life, to joy, to return, to communion with you, God. And and then, early in Jesus' ministry, he's baptized um, by uh, John uh, the baptizer, and it says, the Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. And that Holy Spirit, see, Jesus was already clean. Jesus was sinless. But that Holy Spirit empowered him for a new mission. That began with him, yes, going out into wilderness, but included him speaking God's word and then living out that mission that God had for Jesus to rescue sinners from slavery. See, holiness is growing in the presence and power of God for the purposes of God in your life. So when we say things like, hey, in, in in God, you have the power to change, you have the power to grow. What we're really saying is that you're going to get to become and grow as the person God always intended you to be. So, yes, we grow in Christ-likeness. It's, it's clear throughout the New Testament, right? Holiness, growth, sanctification, you know, all, all those words are always leading towards Christ-likeness but it's not that we're all gonna be the same at the end. It's what does your life look like, redeemed by Jesus? What does your life look like after receiving mercy and grace from Jesus? And what is your life going to look like now that you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to live out what God intended for you in the places and with the people that he has you with? That's gonna look different for everybody. It's gonna be exciting. It's gonna to lead to greater joy. Is it gonna be perfect? No. But, but know this, that when we say something like holiness, it's not about conformity. Yes, it's about the character of Christ, but you are a unique individual, different and distinct from everybody else, and you are part of God's forever family. That leads us to the next verses here, verses 17 through 21 because we're part of this family so first we're called to holiness second we're called to Christ it says this verses 17 through 21 and if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds conduct yourself with fear that means reverence by the way throughout your time of exile And so here we see, we're called by the Father, but we're called to Christ. So the good news of what Christ did in the past, what he promises in the future, it impacts how we live today, and so we grow and change, and we're fruitful in in what we're calling holiness, only as much as we're beholding, worshiping, how much we are beheld, known, held by God the Father in Jesus Christ. If worship is the remedy for apathy, this is redirecting our passions to to understand that part of the battle, yes, it's in the mind, yes, it's in the heart, yes, it's our worship. But then, like, we said this at the beginning of the series, like you're not rooted and planted in like a perfect orchard. No, we're scattered around the world where there is thorns and thistles, where there is harsh environments, where there is difficult soil. And so this is how we engage kind of with the with the external forces we have, they have great influence over us, like like the culture around us, it's very popular for pastors to just rail against it, but let's not pretend that those same pastors, myself included, aren't totally informed and impacted by the culture that we're in. And then let's also not pretend that when you came into the world, that you were a blank slate born into a perfect family. Anybody wanna claim they were born into a perfect family? No, so like by the time you've gotten old enough that you're showing up in this room, that perfect family probably jacked you up a little bit too. So you're getting roughed up out there, you've been maybe jacked up a little bit in here because of what you've experienced in your family of origin and oh yeah, by the way, you're hurting some other people too. And that is, oh, that's so disconcerting because we think that we're so impartial that we see, we're unbiased, and what he's saying here is, hey, guess what, you're not unbiased, you're not impartial, but there is a judge who is impartial, and that's God the Father. So you gotta take those two things together because if you're like, oh yeah, God's a good loving father, like, you know, maybe you're like a daddy's girl, like, oh yeah, you know, he never sees me do anything wrong, like, you no, know, he sees it all because he's also an impartial judge. So on the one hand, there's this weightiness of, oh man, God's an impartial judge. He sees everything about me. He knows all the ways you've been harmed. He knows all the ways that we've harmed other people. He knows all of your worries. He knows all of your weariness. And, and so, he, he knows it and he sees it. And so on the one hand, you're like, uh-oh, there's a judge, Yep. And in Christ he's your father. <sighs> Imagine walking into the courtroom and you're like, I don't know how this is going to go, and then you see dad. It's not your dad. It's a perfect, loving father. How do you feel in the courtroom now? Well, he's still a judge, though. So his response to your weariness, to your sin, to the harm that's been done to you, to the harm that you've committed, his response so I better find a way to deal with that for them. I'm gonna send Jesus. I'm gonna send Jesus to walk in perfect obedience. See, he sees us as we are and for who we are. And his response is encouraging because he sees us with our sin and imperfection, but he also sees our beauty and value. And so he desires for us to change. He says, I don't, I don't want them to be a slave to to their flesh, to their, to their minds. I want them to be enslaved to their families of origin. I don't want them to be enslaved to the culture around them. I want them to be a free people. And so he desires changes in ways to bring us more joy. And so he is clear, he's like, in this time, right, we're living in exile. These people were living in exile. We may live in exile, but we embody the kingdom that we're destined to. So who we are in the world is is in the world, but we are distinct from it. And so what's great about that is, is he says, hey, revere me while you're in exile. So that means like, you know, think about like, when you think about like Nazi sympathizers in like World War II, we're like, oh man, they just were invaded in this place and they just like helped them all the time. He's like, no, no, don't. He's like, you're in exile. Like, but you don't need to fear being in exile because you can revere the one who's walking with you in exile. It's a call to faithfulness. It's a call to holiness even in the midst of a culture that's been garbage since Genesis 3. Like the Bible starts with a perfect culture, two chapters in it gets bad. And we're still living in that. So like there's never like, I mean man, I I have moments all the time where I'm like, oh, I just wish it was the good old days. I wish it was February of 2020. You know, it's like, no, there was stuff messed up then too, right? Some of you are a little older. You're like, oh, it was so good in the 70s. Was it? If you're really old, you're like, wasn't it so great back in the 40s and 50s? I was like, what? You mean, no. I mean, maybe for some people, but not for others. We know who they are. There's never been a perfect time, but we get to long for a perfect time that is coming. He says, hey, you can endure in the midst of this, and so we don't have to fear being in exile, because we revere the God who walks with us in exile, and so it's this reverence for God that drives how we live, and so he says, hey, you're called to Christ, and so because we're called to Christ, we don't need to be enslaved to our futile culture, right? He uses that term futile right in the middle of verse 18. You've been ransomed. You've been purchased from those futile ways. And so that means we're not enslaved by culture. So what's a diagnostic question for for if you're like totally, I don't wanna say enslaved to culture, I'll say enslaved to culture. The diagnostic question for you is this. If you're 100% aligned with popular culture, always in agreement with the government, never question media narratives, you might wanna look at that as a check engine light. For am I being informed by my culture or am I being influenced by it? Because if all of those forces are end up being futile, why, why would you wanna be enslaved to those? Where are your passions being fue- fueled and where is your conduct being conformed? Because our faith is not to be in the whims of the world but in the wisdom of the one who created the world. So yes, we engage and yes, I mean, Like, I'm not saying run away from all of those things. Please don't hear me wrong. Like, good luck, because all you'll do is make some weird culture on your own that's, you know, just even more, more difficult to engage, right? But it is like recognizing that there are ways that are futile. Number two, so that's number one, futile culture. Number two is our futile family. You don't have to be enslaved by your family of origin, right? Well, I'm just... You know, I'm just one of these, you know, members of our family. This is what we do. We're like this. If you met my parents, they're super jacked up. You go back four or five generations, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah, that's that's just who we are. Or, well, I can't walk in freedom and joy because my family has done this to me. My father's done this to me. My relatives did this to me. See, you are not enslaved by your family of Oregon. Like, to be clear, you're going to be impacted by it. Like it's gonna influence your particular type of crazy, right? We all have it, I got my type of crazy. It's gonna influence that, but you're not condemned to it. We don't live out our futile inheritance, we can press in to our forever inheritance. That's the hope that we have in the gospel that you are not defined by your family of origin. You're not defined by what your father did to you or what your father didn't do to you, but what your father in heaven has done for you. So you wanna grow, starts in your mind, and then you have to look outside of it and say, how is the culture influencing me? How has my family influenced me? And then if you're a parent, right, how you influence your you're like, oh man, I'm making me and Tara, we're making a whole new sauce of crazy for the next generation somehow, right? Gotta keep the therapist in business, all right. Next verses, we gotta keep moving, guys. First Peter 1, 22 through 25, he says this, this is called to the word. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly with a pure heart, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of our Lord remains forever. And the word is good news that was preached to you. So we are called to grow, yes, first, we're called to holiness, we're called to Christ, right? That means we're gonna have to look at how our culture and our family has influenced us. He says, hey, you wanna grow, you need to be rooted in the word. You're called to the word and you're called to his people. I mean, Here he's saying like, hey, you were purchased, yes, you're born again, but then he calls you right away in these verses into a sincere brotherly or sisterly love. So he's saying, you were orphaned, but now you're family. Who's your family? Look around. And then when you leave these walls, you you look around at the other churches, the other Christians, like the Christians that are in Ukraine right now, the Christians that are in Russia right now, the Christians in Burkina Faso, right? Christians all over the world, Christians scattered all over Snohomish County. That's our family. You're like, that's a little dysfunctional. Yeah, it's a real dysfunctional family. Thankfully, we have a faithful savior who will bring us into one perfect church at the end of the story. And it ain't this one. It ain't the one down the street. It ain't the one across the world. But it's one who unites the world together. And so when we say, hey, you know, the grass withers, the flower fails, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word is God. That's how John starts his gospel. So yes, Read your Bible, yes and amen. Yes, show up and gather with God's people, but but know that these are avenues, these are the highway, if you will, to be faithful to the word. Jesus Christ is the word. We read God's word not to just get those, those imperatives so I can get my stuff right, not to just remember the indicatives, okay, good, God did something, but we read the word to learn about Jesus. We gather with God's people and we love one another as God's people, as a family, to model the love Jesus has for us. To be encouraged and empowered by one another. That we're born again individually, but we're brought into an enduring community. We'll talk more about that when we get to the rest of chapter two, that we're born again, he says, with imperishable seed with a word that endures forever, that means we can grow and change and receive holiness that doesn't fade, doesn't die, and can't be taken away. Because if your growth is rooted in the word of God that is in Jesus Christ, then as you grow and as you change, you can kind of put to rest at times that voice in the back of your head that says, yeah, but they don't really know you. Or yeah, you you may have progressed for a while, but don't worry, you're one bad step away from falling back into the ditch. Or, yeah, you know what? They, they don't know, but yeah, there's a party that wants to be on that train over there. And so you're going to jump back on it at any moment. No, no. If you're rooted in the Word, he who began a good work in you is faithful and just to complete it in the day of our Lord. That's what Philippians says. That means the growth that's produced in you that comes from God's Word, from Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, that's endearing growth. Have some courage. Have some encouragement. That grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord endures forever. That's a quote from Isaiah 40. You can go read that chapter on your own, but the context of it is God's people getting comfort in difficulty. He wasn't calling people out, saying, you're all screwed up, grow. He's saying, no, the the flowers, they grow and they fade, the grass grows and fades, but God's word fades. For us, God's word to us, God's word in us—that's forever. So you can rest. So you can exhale. The flower might fade, the grass might wither, but we have God's word; it endures forever. And then finally, these last verses—you're like, okay, so so now what? I mean, what do what do we do, right? Okay, we're we're called to holiness. We're called to Christ. It's God's word that does it. Like. I've, is there like just a couple things we could focus on to like, it's like key takeaways from this of like areas of growth, of areas of emphasis? Well, look at these last verses. Here we go. Last two verses. Chapter two, verses one and through three. So in light of everything that we've talked about, our identity, our hope, call to holiness, call to Christ, call to God's word, so, or therefore, put away all malice, all deceit, Hypocrisy, envy, and slander. These are communal words, right? You can't slander without hurting somebody else. You're like, oh, I was by myself and I slandered. No, you slandered somebody, right? You can't have malice towards no one. I'm just really mad. Well, okay, (laughs) maybe you can. But eventually, right, it's gonna pour out. Envy is. I look at him. I wish. I wish I could have the ranch in South Dakota. It's amazing. No, that was really deeply personal. There's like a. There's a couple Tara and I follow on Instagram. They got an amazing ranch in South and North. South Dakota, North Dakota. Where's it at, babe? South Dakota. Yeah, it's it's so good. Their kitchen's amazing. Anyway, right. But that's envy. And you know goals. Okay. Anyway, so let's get back to it. Deceit. You can't lie unless you're lying about somebody or to somebody. Hypocrisy? Oh, I say it's this way, but I really do it this way. Right? That's demonstrable. So all of these are in the context of community. The real change is possible individually, but it's gonna happen in the context of our community. And so we say, hey, you wanna be a church that's rooted in their identity, that has a rooted hope, that has a rooted holiness? Then guys, there's some things we need to repent of. Some things we need to put away. And that is malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy. And then the result of that is that we just kind of walk around as newborn infants. Right, he said we're born again to to an imperishable seed. We're born again by a living hope in Jesus Christ. That means you're a new infant. It means I'm a new infant. And the call to growth is, is a call to maturity. To, to walk away from what is destructive and press into what is helpful. To walk away from what hinders and harms and receive what's healthy and helpful. To fast from what hinders. To feast in what is healthy. So I want you to ask yourself where do you need to repent? Maybe it's just getting off the train. Jesus shown up and said, hey, this train doesn't go where it needs to go, maybe you need to become a Christian and, and that's just, like Jesus has come, he's producing the change, and you're just saying, yes, Jesus, I'm with you, and you just let him carry you off that train into a new train. If you become a Christian, the next step of obedience, we believe, is to be baptized, to say the old you that was on that train going to destruction, that's dead and buried in the waters of baptism. The new you that follows and loves and serves Jesus, and you're not perfect, you're not there yet, but you're on a new train with new desires, new life, born again, and perishable seed, that comes out of the water. Recognizing your allegiance is no longer to yourself, but it's to Jesus. What do you need to put off? What do you need to put on? And finally, he says, the motivator of all of this is if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. He's quoting Psalm 34 that we open service with. That whole psalm is saying you don't need to fear, you don't need to have shame. Instead, because you've tasted and seen the Lord is good, you've been delivered. You've been sustained and the result of that is radiance. The result of that is worship. So where do you need to taste and see that the Lord is good? Where do you need passions redirected? We're gonna take communion. And as we do, I want us to remember that a call to growth or a call to holiness is never rooted in what we have done, but what Christ has done for us, that our sin was worthy of Him dying for, that God does take sin seriously, but He takes salvation seriously because He sent Jesus to die in our place that his body broken and blood shed for us, that pays for our sin and it purifies us with a righteousness that comes from Jesus, a holiness that comes from Jesus, where we get to now live and remember that we have a new life with God's presence, God's purity, God's power, God's purpose, God's passion. So we have a rooted holiness when we trust Jesus. Let's pray. God, you're good to us. God, you're good.